Okay, let's go ahead and get uh, started tonight. Um, <clears throat> my voice is fading fast, so I don't know how long or <clears throat> how long I have to to get this out. But um, <clears throat> um, can't really get much past this point. But we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it'll loosen up a little bit as we go on. But um, we're going to be back over there in Ecclesiastes <clears throat> chapter seven. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, wisdom and uh, the better part of it. You know, we we were discussing previously about uh, wisdom being tied to an inheritance, and uh, the difference between wisdom and riches is obviously wisdom is the one that gives life. But we're going to take a look at a little bit uh, more about wisdom and um, how to, to proceed forward with that. Um, in the next few verses, starting at verse 19. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we have this time and opportunity this evening, Lord, to come and to to hear some things from you. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, just uh, take the understanding that we find uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes and apply it to our life, that, Lord, we would desire wisdom, that we would seek it, that we'd have a, a desire, Lord, to, to have that in our lives so that we would please you and honor you and give you all the glory, honor, and praise. I thank you again, Lord, that we are able to be here this evening. I thank you again for uh, the nice weather that we have. And uh, and again, Lord, I just pray that uh, this uh, this day would be uh, end with uh, us uh, just uh, honoring you and enjoying uh, that fellowship with the Spirit, and enjoying your word, and, and Lord, receiving that instruction. I pray, Lord, you just be with me and my voice, that, uh, again, the Lord, be able to make through this, um, and, uh, Lord, that this would, time would be pleasing unto you. These things I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so in verse 19, um, we had uh, talked about the, the conclusion of uh, the last part where he was talking about wisdom in verse 18, where he said, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. And again, those are the principles that he's talking about here. Yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. And that is the main theme of what we see throughout this book and throughout uh, Solomon's teachings. His desire is to fear the Lord. Now, as we move through the rest of chapter 7, uh, it kind of takes on a bit of a different tone. Um, the tone that it takes is he begins to look at his life, and he begins to be very transparent with the, the reader here, uh, to be very honest about how he approached life incorrectly. Um, he, he reveals where he's erred. And I will dare say that that's one key important part about being wise is to understand where we go wrong, to acknowledge it, and to take accountability for it. And as we go through this, we're going to find again <clears throat> this, this concept through the, here, um, about wisdom. In verse 19, it says, wisdom strengtheneth the wise, more than ten mighty men which are in the city, for there is not a uh, there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, 
lest thou hear the servant, uh, thy servant curse thee. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise has cursed others. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find, uh, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly and even foolishness uh, of, of madness. Excuse me, foolishness and madness. And I find it more, uh, and I find more bitter than the death, uh, than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands, who please the, uh, God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Uh, I'll dare say I've heard a lot of people talk about this passage, and um, they use it incorrectly to disparage uh, women, and uh, that's not what this is talking about. One thing that is very clear when we look at these uh, women that are here that he's referencing we have to go back to the book of Proverbs. You go over to Proverbs chapter 7 and you go to Proverbs chapter 8 and there's two women that are portrayed there. And the woman that he's referring to is the one that is in chapter 7, which is that forward woman, which is uh, one that is very much talking about the the things of this world. And she's personified as a woman seducing a man. And the same thing when it comes to wisdom, it is a man seeking after the right kind of woman and finding that right woman, which is found in wisdom. Both of them are in the female sense. But before we get to that part, we see here that he's talking about wisdom. And again, there is something that is better. Wisdom is better than might. Might only gets you so far. Um, I've seen this a, a, a time or two where you get some individual that thinks that they're they're all that in a bag of chips, and they, they, they go out there and they decide they're going to try to fight somebody. Or, or they try to pick a fight with, 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 with someone. Maybe they'll try to pick a fight with somebody that's smaller, or they'll try to pick a fight maybe with the bigger guy. Uh, me being a larger individual, I've always had people try to pick fights with me because they think that somehow, some way, if they can beat me, then they've accomplished something in this life. Well, I, I, I'm nothing to speak of when it comes to fighting. Um, uh, I, I just don't, you know, I generally don't care to play around, wrestle like that. And uh, I've done it a couple of times. And uh, um, I, I just, it, it just gets a little too real too quickly sometimes. And I, I don't care for it. But one thing that I know is that there will be some young guy that will come out there and that will decide and they'll say, well, hey, I'm going to go ahead and try this person. And they find out really quickly that even though that person may be smaller than them, they're a lot smarter. And that person, the next thing you know, that has been boasting about their strength is down on the ground and is trying to figure out exactly what happened. Because the individual that is smarter 
And the individual that is wiser, and the individual that sometimes, if you will, has street smarts and has been in a few fights before, is the individual that generally is the one that does the most damage. They, again, may not be the strongest, but they know how to do something. And the same thing is true when it comes to the things of this life. Just because we have physical capability does not mean that we are going to be able to get through this life, uh, if you will, um, in the best manner. Wisdom is essential for the Christian life. Wisdom is essential for everything that we do. Physical strength comes and goes. It's just, it, it just happens. You know, as, as people begin to, to, to age, they just lose some of those physical strength. As we take more and more damage to our bodies that we do to ourselves or somebody else does to us, we, we just begin to lose that physical strength. But one thing that we see here is as he's talking about this, that, that, that this wisdom is better than the physical strength. He, he compares it very clearly to 10 mighty men, which are in the city. And, and here we see the, you know, Solomon's aware of what mighty men do. He, he's probably heard his father's stories about, uh, David's mighty men. There's a whole chapter that's dedicated, the last part of the chapter is dedicated to those individuals. Individuals taking on hundreds of men all by themselves. Individuals taking on uh, men that, 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 that are like lions. Individuals that are fighting to the point of where uh, they're, they're fighting so much that the hand cleaves to the sword and they couldn't get it out of his hand. Things of that nature, we begin to realize, you know, he, he'd probably heard about all of these things. But again, that will only go so far. Whereas if some, if somebody that has the, that, that, that wisdom to, 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 to do what is necessary is the one that can win the city, is the one that can take it, is the one that can actually do something. Because again, as he come, goes, as we go through and we, he, he, he compares here, he's already compared, you know, power and riches, uh, to wisdom and he says both of those fail. But wisdom produces a very different effect. If you take a look at verse 20 here, he says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And what he begins to compare is he compares these individuals to this issue of physical strength and justice and goodness in the human flesh. It's just not there. There's a similitude of what it may seem like, but the individual is just not capable of doing it. You can have the strongest flesh in the world, but it's still not good enough to get you into heaven. You can think that you have have fulfilled every aspect of the law, and it's still not good enough to get you into heaven. You can think you're the most fair and just person on the face of the earth and everything that you discern and how you treat people, but it's still not capable of getting in. But wisdom that comes from the Lord, that begins with salvation, that opens up throughout Scripture, that comes from the Holy Spirit, has a very different effect in a person's life. 
as we see here, he kind of goes through and he begins to to say that these individuals, you know, the people that uh, are, are seeking justice in man and, and, and um, are, are trying to seek goodness in man, fail to do that. In the previous verses, in verses uh, 13 through 18, we saw a little bit about some things about justice and how man fails with that. In the, in the, in the previous uh, uh, chapter, he, he ends this, in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For who knoweth what is good for man in this life, and all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow? And again, we find the answer to that is God, and God knows that wisdom is better. But here's an individual that's trying with all their might, but trying in vain to be good. And as he looks at this, he sees very clearly that this is, well, what man is, how man fails. And he closes the chapter talking about uh, these things, about how God creates man, but the end result is his man goes off and does his own thing. He invents things. He, if you will, he, he, he creates fantasies within his own uh, mind that he pursues. He creates delusions and lusts that he follows after. All of these things, you know, here's God creating man and creating him for the purpose of glorifying uh, the Lord. And the end result is he goes off and he deviates. <clears throat> he deviates. But what we find here in a very similar fashion, I mean, you know, God talks about it. If you go over to the book of Romans, <clears throat> and if you turn to Romans um <clears throat> Excuse me, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 makes it very clear. Uh, the Psalms say that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, it, it, we go through and we think about all of these passages where God begins to point out these individuals and, and their failings. They think that they're strong, but they're not. They can't stand. People will think that they're strong because they've got security and riches. You know, somebody such as uh, maybe uh, uh, Bezos or Bill Gates or Elon Musk, these guys that are, are up there with millionaires, think maybe that they're more secure than everyone else. Because they have money to to try to buy security. And he says, you know, having riches is a good thing, but it's never going to give the life. It's never going to give the life like wisdom does. It's never going to, 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 to help us along that way. Seeing people that have tons of money and then they turn around and they, they, they misuse it, what God's given but as we go through and we see more about these, you know, this observation that he's seeing here, he he makes it very clear that man has a has a fatal flaw. Man has a fatal flaw. He has a tendency to not do that which is good. He has a tendency to go after that evil imagination. And what we find in the next verse here is we go through here a little bit further in verse 21. He says, also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. 
For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hath cursed others. And he uses this as an example of what he was just talking about. Here's a king that has power and has might. And here he is, he's ruling and reigning. And one of his servants in his house maybe doesn't agree with him. Now, look, I have not always agreed with my managers. I have not always agreed with uh, the way that they they go about doing things. But they're my managers and I'm going to abide by it. I'm going to have to follow what they tell me to do. As long as it's not against the word of God, I'm going to do what they tell me to do. Uh, If they tell me to do something that is uh, um, what I deem as immoral, illegal, deceitful, I won't do it. I'll give you an example. My very first job, I was a uh, courtesy clerk, or what they used to refer to as a box boy. Because we have to refer to them as courtesy clerks nowadays, because, you know, box boy is kind of, well, genderism, right? <clears throat> but uh, here I was, you know, the person that was packing bags and doing things like that. But we each had a responsibility. We either were assigned to the front end of the store or to the back end of the store. And if you were the back end of the store, the things that you were responsible for was you had to make sure that the beer cooler was stocked, you had to make sure that the ice cream was stocked, and you had to make sure the eggs were stocked. Those were your responsibilities. If you were at the front, you had to make, and this was in Oregon, you had to count uh, all of the, the, the bottle returns, which, trust me, in the summertime, you wanted to be in the back. Because they would bring in those bottles, and I'm pretty sure they had them marinating in the sun in a black garbage bag. And you'd take that thing in the back, and you would open that up, and you just about lost your lunch. It was bad, really bad. And you're sitting there, and you're counting it, and you're washing your hands and scrubbing them thoroughly afterwards. You were also the primary courtesy clerk, so when there was a call for a courtesy clerk, and you were up there, you were bagging and you also had to do the mopping and the sweeping and everything else and cart wrangling and all those things. But if you did the eggs, <clears throat> this is what was instructed of me. We, we went and we would look at the eggs and we would take a look and see which ones had the ex- expiration date on there. We'd pull the expiration, the ones that were expired, and we'd take them into the back. And we had a stack of... Uh, egg containers that had no date stamp on them that we would get from the egg, um, uh, basically wherever that we got our eggs from. And we would take all the eggs that were expired and we would put them in the new box and we'd put them back out on the shelf. Now, I understand eggs have a long expiration date and sometimes they're very good past that date. But to me, I viewed that as very deceitful. And I refused to do it. And they kind of began to realize that that was when they were going to have some issues with me. Um, because they made a stance and I said, oh, well, I won't do that. I'll pull the expired eggs and I'll put them in the stack for expired eggs. Where they're supposed to be. But I'm not going to change the date. I'm not going to put something on there that's not. I'm not going to risk somebody's life just to make a buck. So you have to make a decision. So, but I never badmouthed the boss about that. I never said anything to any other employees. 
I never said anything to anyone. The main thing that we see here is we see a disparity between the person that's a king, the person that's in charge, and the person that's a servant. And many times the person that's in authority will look at somebody and they will hear something that is disparaging against them. And they'll get upset. They'll get mad about it. And what it does is it shows the duplicity of man. Shows the double standard. Shows the double heart and the double mind. Because here he is hearing something that he doesn't want to hear. And the next thing he does is he begins to, if you will, uh, do disciplinary action or do what he will against this uh, servant that cursed him. But Solomon is there to remind us, if you're in that position, you have probably cursed others as well. Or maybe they didn't hear it. So in a very interesting fashion, Solomon is saying here in verse 21, I want you to take note of this. He says, also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken. Now we take heed unto every word that is spoken by the word of God. We take heed to all of that. But what man says, sometimes they say in foolishness, they say in anger, they say in frustration, they say in sheer stupidity. And while some people may say, well, there's some element of truth behind it, well, there may or may not be. Regardless of that, you know what you do? Don't regard it. If somebody under you is going to curse you, you let God handle it. You know, being in any position of authority, I've been a manager um, before of people, and I know people don't care for the way I manage. I, I have a unique way that I go about doing it. It produces the results that we need for a company, so therefore, we, I, you know, I continue to do that, or I continue to do it. But the end result is, is if somebody was going to be disparaging about it, I wasn't going to say anything. That's their opinion. I don't care. I don't have to be liked and accepted by everybody. The only one that I'm truly trying to be acceptable unto is my God. And I realize that not everybody's going to agree with me. You know, you, you run a church, you're going to find out people don't always agree with you. Okay. And sometimes pastors can't, can't, can't move past that point. They've got to be a friend to everyone and they've got to make sure that everybody loves them and everybody likes them. Well, it's not about me. It's not about a pastor. Church is about Jesus Christ. Church is about the Word of God. That's that's the primary thing. So if somebody doesn't agree with the way that something is done, they don't agree with the, the, the way that, 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 that people decorate, so on and so forth. I've told you the story before about the pastor I knew. Um, uh, and uh, they, they had an old concrete floor. And he, he had uh, taken over this church, and he didn't like the concrete floor because it was a little echoey, and he just didn't care for it. And it just kind of looked cold and dank and industrial. So he decided he was going to get carpet in there. He decided he was going to get carpet, and um, in, in, in against Baptist tradition, he didn't form a, 
uh, carpet selection committee. <clears throat> he didn't have an interior designer come in and say this was what would be good. He didn't consult anyone. He just decided, I'm going to get new carpet. And he goes into the, the carpet, commercial carpet, and he says, I want to see the ugliest carpets you have. The ones that you're going to give me a deal on because they're so ugly. And the guy's like, really? Because we got some ugly ones. He goes, great. Let's go take a look at them. And he goes, find one, and he finds one that's ugly. It doesn't go with anything. And he sees that, and he gets that, uh, and he looks at it, and he says, Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that, and I want you to install that. And he had it installed when nobody was looking. And they come in the next Sunday, and they look at it, and they're like, this is the ugliest carpet. And he said, the reason why I didn't go through a selection committee is because now you all hate me equally. Because you all hate the carpet. He says, I hate the carpet too. That's why he chose it. So we're now unified that we all hate the carpet. There's some wisdom behind that. There's some wisdom behind that. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. <laughs> but you understand that, that, that there's certain things that, that, again, don't listen to everything that everybody says about you. Because that's probably one of the wisest things. One of the wisest things that we look at is, is, is how we respond to those that talk to us. But in a similar fashion, he says, look, we have cursed people under our own breath. We may not have uttered it out, but I'll tell you this, sometimes it rattles around in our brain. It goes around and we sit there and think, is he really that stupid? Can he really do that? But here's the issue. We start comparing ourselves and we start comparing wisdom against strength and wisdom against riches and all these things. And the end result that we find is that man is just, man is not good. Man has this desire to sin. Man has this desire to go a different direction than God. Man isn't just. So here's this person getting ready to respond. And as he just said over there, there's not a just man upon earth. And the reason is, is as that guy comes to reprimand that servant, then he heard them curse. Where's the justice? Because that same king has cursed someone else. And Solomon's well aware of this. Solomon's well aware of this. You just take a look at Solomon's life. He had an issue with one of his brothers. He had an issue with somebody that was in his kingdom by the name of Jeroboam that he expelled. He had a few issues. So when it comes to justice, the things that, that, that were being done wouldn't necessarily say that he exercised full wisdom in that. He definitely didn't exercise wisdom when he decided to get 700 wives and a 1,000 concubines. But the problem was is he was seeking wisdom without God. And again, that's the theme of this book. Without God, everything is vain. Without God, we live a life of vanity. So the conclusion is, fear God and keep his commandments. That's our whole duty. 
But as we move through this a little bit further, he, he continues to go through. <clears throat> After he points out this duplicity, <clears throat> in verse 23, he says, All this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. So here he begins to start using himself as the example. And you'll often find that. Preachers will use themselves as the example. Where they fall. Where they have failings. And some, some, look, when, when, when Pastor Tim asked me to take the church, I'm sitting there going, I am not qualified for this. In any way, shape, or form. So, you know, I, 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 I started looking at certain things. I started uh, listening to some things and trying to read some books about, you know, homiletics and hermeneutics and how to put together sermons and things like that. And, and uh, you know, there, there's guys that are sitting there saying every single sermon has to be alliterated. And then there's guys saying don't ever alliterate. And then there's guys that are saying you have to have three points. And then there's guys that say that you need at least ten points. And then there's guys that say you need to be, uh, you need to be able to say what you need to say in 15 minutes. And then there's guys that say you need to drag that out till about an hour and a half. I mean, all sorts of stuff. And, 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 and I remember hearing all of these things, uh, uh, about this. And I began to, if you will, try to search things out. And, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example. And there are people that will say, don't use yourself as an example ever. Because you do not want to be diminished in the eyes of the congregation. They should look at you as a holy and just man and good and full of righteousness. And I'm like, I'm I'm up here right now struggling. I sound like I've gone through puberty again. And people are like, oh, you should never do something like that. I should call somebody up there and... to, to, to get up there and preach for you if, if, if your voice is not full and your voice is not where it should be. Look, it's either about God or it's not. And look, if, if the best sermon illustration is me, then so be it. If the best sermon illustration is showing where I fail so that you won't, then so be it. And here we find very clearly the same situation where he's he's going through. <clears throat> and we realize that Solomon's the wisest man, and he's and he's basically telling us here, "Hey, look! Sometimes I was a dullard. Sometimes I had no no concept of what wisdom was." And look at how he goes about doing this. He says, "So I applied my heart." In verse, uh, uh, um, excuse me, in verse twenty-three, he says, "I have all this I have proved by wisdom." And he's saying, all these things that I've gone through and I'm showing you, I can prove that wisdom is the greater thing. Wisdom is the better thing. And as he concludes, he says, he said, I, I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. And when God asked uh, uh, um, uh, Solomon, what is it you need? What is it you want? You want riches? You want power? Do you want? What, I mean, what is it, is it exactly? He said, "Look, I don't know how to lead these people. I need help." And God gives them wisdom. But often is the case when we receive something good from God, we try to make it better in the flesh. And here's Solomon. He's what is he doing? He's going after the things that are wise. 
He's trying to find wisdom where there is no wisdom. He tries to find wisdom within himself, only to find that wisdom comes from God. He says it's far from him. In verse 23, I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. And, 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 and I like this passage specifically because it shows very clearly that when we pursue things of our own accord, in our own way, without God being present, we're a dog chasing a car. We're, 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 we never catch it. You know, it's interesting to watch our, our, our dogs interact with the rabbits that we have in our backyard. Um, you know, sometimes our dogs are so obtuse they don't, they don't know the dog, that, that the bunny's even there. The bunny's like completely still, won't move a muscle. And it's got its eye watching the dog. I'll tell you, our, our, our small one has been like super close to the bunny, not even knowing it, does her business and then just walks away. And the bunny's just like, but then there's times that they see the bunny and they take off after it. And, and, and dogs, in case you haven't noticed, run and they can run fast. And our older dog, she's still got some, some, some uh, spunk left in her and she still moves. But she's built to run. She's a sprinter. She doesn't have any endurance though. She'll, she, she can sprint to like, you know, the mailbox and then she's done for the day. You know, you try to take her for a walk and you walk to the corner and she's like, I'm done. But she sprints fast. Sudden bolts of speed. And she'll see those bunnies and she'll take off and she's, this is why we have them on leash and she'll take off and, She'll, you know, catch it on her, you know, at the end of it, pull our arms out of our sockets. But she moves and she moves fast. And when you get those dogs out there and you get them running for dog races like they used to do here in Portland, they're out there. What are they chasing? They're chasing a rabbit. They put that little rabbit out there and they got those greyhounds. And those greyhounds, man, they are majestic. God talks about them. They are majestic when they run. And they run, and they run so fast. And they're they're trying to keep up with that buddy, and they're chasing after it, and they're going around that track, and they're going around that circle waiting for it. You know what's really sad? Those dogs never catch the bunny. They never get it. Their whole, their whole concept is about getting something, obtaining it. That's why you don't use the laser dots on them. Why? Because they can never, they can never get it and they become obsessed with it because they want to get it. They want to get it. And I'll dare say that the things of the world to, to us, they're like a laser dot. You can sit there and claw at the wall all day long. You'll never get it. You can claw at a shadow all day long. You'll never get it. And what he's relating life to here at this point in time is he says, 
you know, all these things that I, you know, that are proven by wisdom, when I go about trying to get it myself, I can't find it. Without God, it's not possible. Without Him, it's not there. And He says in verse 24, He says, that which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? Nothing frustrates me more than having somebody that has not trusted Christ as their Savior take the Bible and try to use it to prove their point. And and, and sometimes I get so frustrated with that when they try to use the Bible to prove something that's sinful or, or justify sin or something of that nature. And I'm like, I just want to grab a hold of the book and hit them upside the head and say, do you not understand the context of what you just read? But as the scripture says, it says that the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. It says that the natural man, meaning unregenerate, still in the flesh, can't understand the things that are spiritual. They don't get it. This is why we can't have the carnal lifestyle. This is why we can't be so uh, self-indulgent of the flesh. This is why we have to make sure that we are not giving the flesh more than what what is uh, uh, necessary for life. This is why we need to make sure that we are restraining our flesh and we're using our flesh to please God. Because the end result is is we can sit there and we can try to find it and we can search for it all day long. You know, I I, I look at this and, and, and I think about this exceeding deep and that which is far off. And you have to understand the concept of, of, of what they're looking at. They know that there's a lot more to this earth, but they can't get there. They were a little bit limited during that day and age about what they could do, how far they could go. They couldn't go down to the deeps, the the, the depths of the sea. They couldn't go down there and explore the bottom of it. Still today, we can't even get all the way down. They know they came in trenches is pretty deep, but they don't know how deep it is per se. They can send probes down there and they can send things down there to try to figure out what's down there. And and they send the cameras down there and without hopefully getting crushed and under the immense pressure of all that water on top of it. And they take a couple of pictures and then they find things that they've never found before. Albino lobsters with no eyes and hairy claws. And you're like, what? Yeah. And they go all the way down to the deep and they try to find things and they find all sorts of crazy stuff. But they haven't, they haven't explored it. They haven't mapped the entire bottom of the ocean. They're just, you know, again, looking for something. They'll never be able to explore that. They go out and they try to explore space. And they talk about how expansive space is. And, and, and they, they say, we'll never get to the end of it. We'll never get to the other side of the universe. That it's impossible. And he says here, that which is far off and that which is exceeding deep, who, who can find it out? 
And without God to guide and direct, that's the futility behind searching without him. When we try to find things of wisdom, we try to find things of strength, we try to find riches, we try to find power, we try to do all of these things outside of God's uh, power, we find that they're out of reach. We find power is limited. We find power is fleeting. We find riches are limited. And riches are fleeting. We find the wisdom of the world is limited because it's sensual and devilish. But we find that the word of God, which comes from above, is pure and peaceable, filled with good fruit. We find all of these things that come from God. And here's what he did. And I want you to see this here as we continue on with this. You know, he he begins to show that how he sought out this supposed wisdom. In verse 25, he says, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And, and here he is searching for something and the Lord grants him a little bit of a vision. The Lord shows him exactly what's going on. And what he's looking for, he goes about the wrong way. If you notice that he's talking about finding and searching out wisdom, but then he talks about searching out madness and folly. Wickedness. Foolishness. Well, again, we know what the, the the mindset of a fool is. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's, that, that is the core of foolishness. It's where a person acts and behaves as if God does not exist. They're indifferent towards God. And he's searching things out that are foolish, that are without God. He's going about and searching out folly, which are the repeated sins that people fall into over and over and over and over and over again. And even the world understands that. There's a beer brand that has a tagline, used to have a tagline that said, follow your folly. Follow your folly? So what? You get drunk and then, you know, you, you, you as, as, Proverbs chapter, uh, you know, um, I forgot the chapter now, but over there in the book of Proverbs where it clearly says uh, what happens. Wounds without cause. And you wake up from the drunken super only to seek it again. That's folly. Here he is seeking all these things. And, and, and here he is, he's demonstrating and saying, look, I went to go seek out wisdom, but I wanted to find the reason of things. I wanted to find out why what happened happened. Now, what's the problem with that? We're never going to know. We're never going to know. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life that I cannot give you a reason why they happened. But you know who does know? God. I'll give you a perfect example uh, uh, in Scripture. Job. 
he had absolutely no understanding of the reason why what was going on in his life was going on. Led him to come to some really ridiculous conclusions and led his friends to come up with even more ridiculous conclusions. But the end result is, as we find here very clearly, that, that, that throughout this, throughout this life, we're never going to know. We're not going to have that. You know what he, what Solomon's saying he tried to do? He tried to become God. Look at how, what else he did. Here he is, he's, you know, seeking out wisdom and he's seeking it out the wrong way. And he says to know the wickedness of folly. Why in the world would you want to study sin? When you can study that which is right. Which would God rather have you study? That which is right or that which is wrong? He wants us to know that there are some things wrong. But in order to know what is wrong... We first must know what is right. He says when it comes to sin, we should be simple. Simple understanding. We don't need to experience murder to know that it's bad. Simple understanding. Thou shalt not kill. That's simple. Even a child knows that. Why on earth politicians can't figure that out? I have no idea. But you understand what I'm saying. It's simple. You don't kill. But here he is, he's searching out all of that. This would be the equivalent of, of, of a Christian sitting there and saying, well, I want wisdom from God about knowing what is right and what is wrong. Therefore, I'm going to study every which way I can of how to kill a person. I'm going to study the poisons. I'm going to study the weapons. I'm going to study the techniques. I'm going to study all of that. No, that's not wise. Why? Because it leads you into that lifestyle. It leads you into that desire. We find that. How many times do we hear horror stories of children as young as six years old viewing graphic violence and deciding that they want to know what it feels like to take another man's life and they go out as a band and they find a homeless person and they kill him. Those are things that have happened. As young as six years old. As young as six years old. And what do we wind up seeing? We see that very clearly God is saying you don't go after those things. In order to teach a child that it is wrong to kill, you don't sit them down and show them, if you will, images of the Holocaust. But this is what he did. Rather than studying scripture and what was right, he studied the explicitness of sin. 
He went down the wrong path. That's not where God is. God is in the righteousness. God is not in the iniquity. Take a look at what he did here. Uh, he says, even the foolish, uh, even of foolishness and madness. He wanted to know what it was like, what, 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 the, what the world is without God. What it was to live as an unwise person. Now, to a degree, there were some things that he did learn that we find over the book of Proverbs, where he, 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 he came across things that God revealed to him about the man that was void of understanding. But in the same sense here, here he is, he's going after that. And it says here that he, 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 he this is what he's applying his heart to do. I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know. To know what foolishness is. To know what the foolish life is. And then he delves even further into it, into the mental incapacity of man. The madness. We look at what, 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 what madness is in scripture and we see people like the maniac of Gadara. We see David feigning madness so he can get out and he's, he's, he's acting like a madman with some drool coming out of it. You know, he let the spittle fall down on his beard as the scripture says. We see people that, that, that are mad that, uh, um, uh, can't, you know, be reasoned with. And we look at the world today and we see that. We see an individual out there, uh, you know, he, he's screaming and cursing at the air on the corner. We see the person that's over there talking to themselves. We see the person that's over there that's, that's fighting their, 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 their hallucinations. This is what he sought after. But here's the interesting thing about all that madness is that behind the madness, there is no reality. There is little reality in, 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 in those that have and struggle with mental illness. Mental illness is a huge problem in the United States of America, as well as the rest of the world. But we've got a huge problem here because, number one, we're addressing it the wrong way. We're addressing mental illness by blaming it on our fathers and our mothers. We address mental illness by not accepting what we've done, but pushing it off onto someone else. We, we address mental illness by sitting there and, and, and in some sort of, you know, quote unquote therapy session, sitting there and saying, oh, I hear that you have a problem. I know that you have a problem. Okay. But the end, the end result is what? The end result is, is that, that they never get to a point of where they, they get to the problem. They just reaffirm that you've got the problem. I don't need reaff- re- re- you know affirmation that I've got a problem. That's why I'm here. Tell me how to get rid of it. But they pay $600 an hour to sit there and listen to some guy that sits there and says, well, you need to blame it on your mother. Or just simply say, you're a horrible person. Without ever giving hope. 
all Christian counseling should always end with hope. Because there is hope in Christ. There is hope in the scriptures. There is a hope in a life of, with the Lord. Without it, there is no hope. So here we have Solomon seeking out the madness. No hope, no reality. And what is the end result of this? The end result is he finds a woman. He finds a woman. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5. So in Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon relates what David told him about seeking after wisdom to go after her. And he puts it very clearly um, in, in a in a mindset that he'll understand. A young man seeking after a beautiful woman. And he says, you know, obviously over there in chapter 4, exalt her. She shall give thy, uh, in thy hand an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she shall deliver to thee. All of these things. But in chapter 5, look at what Solomon says. In verse 1, he says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear unto my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou, uh, uh, lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are, are movable, that, they can, that thou canst not know them. So I want you to think about that there. He just compared a life without God that is going towards sin this is as a strange woman. Forward, whorish, if you will, that nature. Something that, that, that is not a consistency. Those are things that are, are for simple pleasure in a moment. But God says that's not what we should be seeking in our life. They seduce, they do all of those things, all to lure in for the sake of destruction. And he says what the end is. As bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. It says her steps take hold on hell. Now again, he's not necessarily talking about going after things like prostitutes. Now, obviously, we know that's wrong. But this is much more than that. He's comparing the life of the flesh to this kind of a woman. A life without God. A life without the wisdom of God. And he he demonstrates that by also comparing wisdom to another female. Inevitably, a young man decides that they want to go seek after a wife, and, and to find a wife is to find a good thing, Scripture says. So they go out and they, they find all these different things. And sometimes you can tell where they found the wife. Sometimes you can tell. The behavior, 
the mannerisms, the characteristics. You know, as a young Christian man, going to a bar is not the best place to go find a woman. That's not where it should be found. Seeking a, a, a woman who has no desire for the things of God and is only, if you will, in love with her own beauty is not something that a, that a young man needs to be seeking after. And I'll even make the reverse for, for females as well. The key thing that we have to understand is, is when a person is seeking after a spouse, they're wanting one that's going to draw them nearer to the Lord. Wisdom draws you closer to God. The things of the world pulls you further away. So the same principles we find here throughout this passage is he says that this is this woman. In verse 20, uh, going back over there, or excuse me, we're over there in Proverbs. I'm going to end with this before we get into verse 26 over there. But we find all of these things where he goes through in chapter 7. In chapter 7, he says... um, all these things that they're supposed to do with the uh, the commandments. In verse 1, my, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister. And call understanding thy kinswoman. That they may keep thee from the strange woman. From the stranger with flat earth with her words. And then in verses 6 through the rest of this. He goes into great detail about how that strange woman operates to seduce in an adulterous manner. And if there is one thing that is clear in this life is God compares the idolatry of this world to an adulterous relationship. To an adulterous relationship. And this is exactly what Solomon's talking about. He's not disparaging women, okay? This is not what he's going about doing. He's using this as a typology, as an example. Because again, he's clearly trying to communicate to people after him what they need to be seeking after. And very clearly he says, look, you can go and you can search out all those things of sin, but it'll never bring wisdom. The only thing that you're going to find at it at the very end is you're going to find a bitter old woman. It's not going to be pleasant. And that's how he describes it. And he says uh, in verse 26, I find more bitter than death the woman. Whose heart? And again, he's not saying that it's woman. He didn't have an issue with women. If he did, he probably wouldn't have had 700 wives and 1,000 concubines. He doesn't hate them. What he's clearly pointing out is there is a woman to be avoided. This woman specifically is the one that is going about with snares and nets. Exactly as he describes here, and he goes through and shows how she caught this young man. With, you know, she flatters with the, uh, these words and, and uh, goes and finds this uh, young man in verse 7. I discern the, among the youth a young man void of understanding. And what happens? In verse 10, behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. In verse 13, so she caught him. 
And what's the end of this, this catching part? And it says in verse 22, He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. This woman intends to destroy. Intends to destroy. And I like how it's portrayed over there in the book of Revelation. If you notice, there's two women in Revelation. There's Mystery Babylon. And then there's Israel. And it's always been about that. And this is how he compares it. Because people understand that. People understand that concept. So next week when we start looking at verse 26, we're going to find there's a lot more to this woman. It's just not women in general. We dare not go there. What we need to look at is we need to look at the right woman. The right woman. The one of wisdom that shows up in chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs. Right after he gives the warning about what not to do and what not to fall for, he shows, here's who she is. But remember, before he even goes there in chapter 4, he's telling his son about the right woman first. The righteousness of God with the warning of sin. We'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. And again, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to learn from you. And I pray, Lord, that we would just take these things that we've kind of just broached the subject on tonight and, Lord, apply them to our hearts. And, Lord, we would uh, have a desire to seek your wisdom and your understanding. Not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom that only comes from you. Pray, Lord, that you just give us uh, safety as we go home tonight and that, Lord, throughout this week we would have opportunities to please you and to honor you, to give somebody the gospel, and that, Lord, we would live to please you and seek you in all that we say and do. These things I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.